Hi, I'm Michaela. I am a very grateful member of Al-Anon. And I, my home group is in Springfield, Missouri. Even though I'm from Republic, I go to meetings in Springfield, Missouri. That was my watch. Maybe I'm not supposed to pay any attention to the time. Stay. Oh, I'll just hold it. Anyway, um, I go to the Hyam Al-Anon family group. It's a great meeting. I like it. And fortunately, some of the people that go to that meeting came up here to support me, so I appreciate that, too. I've been in the program for nine years which is amazing to me because when I was new in the program, if you told me that you had been in the program for nine years and that you had been asked to speak at a conference, I would have thought you were an Al-Anon goddess. <laughs> I would have been so impressed. And I'm here to tell you that I know better today because when I, they asked me to speak, and I was born and raised in Kansas City, so there was the fear in me. My instant fear was, um, what if my parents want to come to this? And I thought, well, I'll just have two talks prepared, one if they're there and one if they're not. So you can see that nine years in the program does not make a goddess because I still am very sick on occasion. But I am glad to be here. I'm kind of nervous. Uh, this is my first time speaking in this way, so uh, bear with me. And um, I will share my experience, strength, and hope and do the best that I can do. I, was, uh, I come from a family of Irish Catholics. I'm sure surprises many of you, and uh, that seems to be a pretty common theme in the AA and Al-Anon rooms, but uh, I am the third of five children. I have an older brother who's three years older than me. I've got an older sister, 17 months older than me, and then uh, two younger sisters, and my parents, I grew up in a very loving, supportive home. If you had asked me when I got here, I would have told you that I came from an extremely functional um, loving home. We didn't have any problems. We were very normal. Uh, now that I have some recovery, I know differently. And my, uh, my father is um, a very funny, entertaining, uh, loving man. He's, he would do anything for us. He was very generous. He um, was also very moody. And, and you never knew what to expect from my dad if he was going to have... Um, uh, a mood swing and, and just, you know, go into a, an anger tirade. And, and I started at an extremely young age doing everything in my power to prevent those rages because they scared me. I, I was afraid of confrontation, and so I would do whatever I could to prevent those. So I became um, somewhat of a compulsive cleaner and uh, fixer and, and trying to mediate anything that was going on in our house. and. I, uh, I remember my mom, and my dad would call every day before he came home from work, and I would be hanging around the phone asking my mom, was dad in a good mood? Was he in a bad mood? What kind of mood was he in? And, and then that would dictate my next you know, half hour until he got home, whether I just went and sat and watched TV or whether I started picking up the house or, or you know, going to make sure that my siblings weren't fighting or that everyone had their homework done or whatever. I was, I was doing whatever I could that so if he was in a bad mood, he would come home and we wouldn't set him off. Um, you know, I know today that I didn't have any control over that. It didn't have anything to do with what I was doing, but at the time it seemed important. My mom um, and my dad, I, you know, he is a very heavy drinker. Alcohol was so common in our household. Uh, that's another thing. You know, when I got to the program, I could not name five people that I knew that didn't drink. I couldn't name them unless they were maybe people that I worked with, you know, that I didn't socialize with. 
we grew up with alcohol. It was just a part of life. There was nothing unusual about daily drinkers in our house or my parents' friends or our relatives. Everybody drank. That's just, that's just what we did. And uh, my parents were daily drinkers. And my dad, um, you know, today I wrestle with, even though it really isn't in my business, I, you know, sometimes make it my business, is he an alcoholic? And, and you know, the answer, the only answer I could give to that is he shares a lot of characteristics that are described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, beyond that, it's, it's his deal. My mom um, is uh, another wonderful, generous, caring, supportive person. She was a stay-at-home mom. She did everything for us. We were all super involved in extracurricular activities. We were on the go all the time, and she was there being our, you know, our cabbie and, and uh, our cheerleader and whatever we needed. Um, she also would benefit greatly from this program, um, probably both programs. Once again, you know, is she an alcoholic? It's not for me to say, but she, too, shares a lot of characteristics that are described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, daily drinker, you know, it's, it's nothing. Her parents drank all the time. I, it was just, alcohol was just common. Um, but she was, she and I had a great relationship. We are a lot alike. We share, um, we just are a lot alike. We share the same personality and we, we, uh, we really connect, which is kind of scary. <laughs> no, she's a wonderful person. I'm kidding. Um, my, uh, so growing up, we were, we were very blessed as far as loving and being taken care of, and, and we were not neglected or physically abused or anything. I was afraid of my dad's anger, and I know I've carried that with me into adulthood because I still have an incredible fear of confrontation. Um, my older sister, my 17, she was 17 months older than I was, and we were um, in competition and at odds with each other from the get-go. And she sensed in me that fear of confrontation, and she in my opinion, prayed on it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember being little kids and getting money to go up to the neighborhood grocery store. And we each had our money and we had our items picked out and hers cost more money than she had. So she turned around and said, give me your money. And I said, no. And she proceeded to make a scene and that's all she had to do. I handed my money and ran out of the store. You know, and I, that's what I'm saying. I learned early on that it was a lot easier just to give in, give them what they want, and get out of Dodge because then I don't have to face the confrontation and the scene and, and be embarrassed about it and, and all that. It was easier just to give whoever it was what they wanted and get out. So, you know, enter martyrdom. Then I'm, I'm the big sacrificer, you know, and in our family, that was, that was thought highly of. You know, if you, if you were so willing to give of yourself, you know, what, what a great person you are. Well, but I was doing it to the point where, you know, I didn't have anything left. I was just giving it all away. But like I said, my sister saw this in me early, and she, she used it. She used it to the hilt. So uh, growing up, we were in a lot of competition, she and I. Um, I, was, I had a lot of friends. I did well in school. I was pretty athletic. You know, I excelled in athletics as far as uh, basketball and soccer were probably my main ones and played varsity in high school and that kind of thing. And my sister didn't have a lot of friends and uh, didn't apply herself in school and as a result didn't have that great of grades. And, and uh, she didn't excel in sports the same way that I did. She did in her own way um, on club teams and that sort of thing, but not through the schools. 
and uh, she resented that in me a lot and, and pointed it out. And whenever I had success, she would make it her point to come in and, and knock me down a peg or two to the point where it was, once again, it was easier just to, you know, be the martyr and say, um, you know, whisper my accomplishments over here so that she didn't hear them because I didn't want to listen to her berate me or, or put me down for, for what my success. So that, you know, once again, I'm learning to accommodate somebody else to make me more comfortable and to prevent those scenes or ugliness or, or whatever it was I was trying to avoid. Um, in high school, I got a car for my 16th birthday, which was a gift from my godfather. Well, it was just luck of the draw. You know, there were five kids, ten godparents. I just happened to get the one that was a bachelor and didn't have any kids, so he showered me with gifts. Well, one of them was a car for my 16th birthday. And this was a family joke in our house. He got bombed at a party when I was a little kid, you know, when I was a baby, and said, I'm going to buy her a car on her 16th birthday. And everybody held him to that. You know, he called up the next morning and said, did I say anything I should regret? And my dad, of course, said, yes, you said you were going to buy Michaela a car for her 16th birthday. And they gave him so much trouble for that that he did it. He said, well, I'm going to. If I said it, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to do it. And he did. He did. Um, but, you know, Nobody thought that was weird. Nobody thought that was odd that he was so drunk he had to call the next morning to find out if he had said anything, or so the story goes. But anyway, he came through, bought me a Mustang for my uh, 16th birthday, and uh, my sister was extremely jealous of that car, as you can well imagine. She, my brother was kind of, I had his own car or whatever. He had bought one, worked hard, I'm sure, and bought his own car. And so she and I would fight over this car, and it was easier to give in. You know, she drove that car as much as I did because she, you know, well, it's not fair. You got a car. What about me? I didn't get a car for my 16th birthday, you know, and, and it sounded very plausible at the time. Sure, here, you can have it. So she and I shared the car. Um, my, uh, there's a point to this. My junior year in high school, I started dating somebody who, believe it or not, <laughs> shares a lot of characteristics that are described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And our relationship was very sick, as you can imagine. He was um, extremely jealous all the time. And, and pretty much, you know, we spent our relationship, me defending myself, that I wasn't cheating on him, which makes me laugh because I was only a junior in high school cheating. You know, I mean, I wasn't, never did, never thought about it, but that's how we spent our time. I did not. I'm not interested in anybody else. You're the only one for me. Oh, you did too. You know, so it, it was a sick relationship. We had fun together. We drank together. I also was a big drinker. I discovered it when I was a freshman in high school. It was an accepted practice in my home. Um, so I started drinking on the weekends, and I was a heavy drinker. I drank a lot. Um, I was a blackout drinker, you know, sick behavior all the way around. But so he and I started dating you know, based on alcohol and me defending myself, just more of the, the same behavior. You know, he was my dad all over again and my sister to a certain extent. So my senior year in high school, I tell you this story because it illustrates so much sickness that I had and, and the behaviors I had, but I came home from being out one evening and um, I almost reminded everybody to turn their cell phones off before we started because it was funny when it happened last night. But how do you get them to ring like that? Those are fancy. But anyway, um, okay, I've got to remember where I was. Senior year, um, 
so I went out one night with my friends, didn't run into my boyfriend, came home, and I, so I'm talking to him on the phone, and he had gotten word from a friend that I was at this bar and left out in the parking lot with somebody else and then came back into the bar later. Didn't happen, you know, his friend must have been extremely bored that night, so decided to stir up a little stuff with us. So I'm, I'm telling him, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. I was with my friends. Call my friend, you know, defending myself. Well, my sister stumbles in, literally, stumbles into the room and says, give me your car keys. I'm going to drive my friend home. And I said, you know what? You're drunk. I'll drive her home. Just give me five minutes to finish fighting with my boyfriend. <laughs> and um, she, you know, goes into a tirade about how I'm so selfish with the car and I never let her use it. And, you know, and her friend had to be home 20 minutes ago and all this stuff. So I went out and said to the friend, I'll take you home in five minutes. I don't want her driving. That's fine. I don't want to be in a car with her. So I went back and I'm talking to the boyfriend. I'm telling him I've got to go. I've got to get off the phone. You know, my sister's getting angrier and angrier. And he is, I'm not finished talking to you. Well, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal to hang up on him. Okay, well, I wasn't cheating on you, you know. And so finally, I get off the phone with him, and I turn around, and she's coming after me. Now, she was had the propensity to be a violent drunk. She was coming after me, so I was trying to defend myself. And I'm running through the house, away from her, trying to get the keys, telling the friend, get in the car, I'll meet you out there, you know. And, and uh, my parents are home for this and never woke up, which is kind of telling in, in looking back in retrospect. But... So she's chasing me around the table, and we're doing this dance around the dining room table, and she takes off and comes up and starts kicking at me, and as I'm running away, she got my hand and kicked my hand. Well, at that point, I broke loose from her, got out to the car, and I'm sitting there, and I put my hand, or I mean, my face in my hands, and I looked down, and my finger was, like, pointing out the wrong way. And I thought, my God, you know, my hand is broken. It's broken. And so I take the friend home, and I come home, and my sister's passed out, and I think, well, it'll be better in the morning. So I go to bed that night, and I wake up in the morning, and of course it's not better. It's all swollen. It's it's you know it's very painful. And my first thought is, what am I going to tell my mom and dad? Not that you know my sister in a drunken stupor beat me up, you know, in essence. But what am I going to tell them? Because I had to cover for her. I couldn't tell them that she was drunk, or I didn't feel like I could tell them that. So I went to my mom and made up some story about how I had knocked my hand into a car the night before. Well, you know, what could I have been doing to do that kind of damage to my hand? I have no idea. But anyway, and she said, well, she didn't ask any questions. You need to go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor, and they, you know, wrapped it all up and did whatever they did. And I got home, and I thought, my sister is going to feel so bad when she sees my hand like this because prom was in a week, and I had this hideous thing on my hand. She had no recollection of it, none. And I said, you don't remember chasing me around the house and kicking me last night? None. So not only, you know, did she not remember it, she didn't feel bad about it because she didn't remember doing it. So I didn't get anything out of the deal except a broken hand. But, you know, to me, that story illustrates so much about how sick I had gotten. And at that point, I was only a senior in high school. I, I still had plenty to go. So um, I went into college. I eventually, believe it or not, broke up with that guy. And... Um, my sister went to a college out west. She went far away from me. And um, she was looking for a geographic change. I know that today. She wanted um, to go somewhere where she could find new friends and, and uh, you know, start over and get a new start on life. And, and I went to a college here in Missouri, a university here in Missouri. 
and I went and um, studied and drank my way through college and, and managed to enable her, you know, thousands of miles away because she would call me up and say, oh, I spent my, uh, you know, house payment. Oh, okay, well, what do you want me to do about it? Can you send me some money? Well, I had less money than she did, but, you know, but I would help her. I would either send her my house payment and call mom and dad and say, I lost my payment, or, or you know, somehow we would come up with a story where I was the bad guy because I wasn't the one who was always messing up. She was, so it was a lot less suspicious to my parents if I did something, and I bought into this. You know, I was, I was enabling her left and right. I know that today. You know, I couldn't see it at the time, but I know it now. And she, you know, used it. She, she took full advantage of it, and I helped her. Um, in, so this is in college. So my junior year of college, um, my sister called me up on a Thursday night. I'm going to get a little weepy here. Do we have anything? I, don't, I didn't think to grab any Kleenex because I thought I was going to be strong. I was going to need any. Um, she called me up on a Thursday night and said, um, I'm really depressed. She said, I, I've gotten to the point where I can't get out of bed in the morning. And I, you know, I didn't have any concept of that. I said, uh, you need to just suck it up. You know, you're, you're out there in Wyoming. You need to do what you can do and get up in the morning. And thank you very much. Get up in the morning and do what you need to do to uh, get by. You know, mom and dad are paying for you to be out there. And, and you need to do what you need to do. And, and I, I feel so bad about that because I didn't know how to help her. I, didn't, I had never experienced that kind of depression. You know, and I still haven't to this day. I, I couldn't help her. I didn't have the recovery that I needed to help her. And uh, that was a Thursday night. And she said, don't worry about it. I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I said, why don't you talk to some of your friends out there? Oh, I will. I will. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And that's what I wanted to hear, you know, because I didn't want to face that there was really a problem there. Um, Sunday morning. Now, who knows why I hadn't gone out the night before. Saturday night, you know, I went out every night in college. I, you know, I mean it. I was a big drinker. I, I was out partying all the time. That's probably the only Saturday night in my whole college career that I didn't go out. You know, divine intervention. Or, you know, who knows. But anyway, so Sunday morning I wasn't hungover, which was nice. Um, and I, the phone rang at 6 o'clock, and, and they said that I had a visitor downstairs at 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning during finals week. Um, and I'm like, well, who is it? Who could be there? And uh, and this girl said, well, I don't know who it is. And I heard in the background, tell her it's her brother. And I knew immediately that something was seriously, seriously wrong. So I ran downstairs, and I got about halfway down the spiral staircase, and I saw my brother over there. And I just stopped, and I said, who was it? Who is it? Who's dead? And he said, you know, Megan, your sister, she killed herself last night. And uh, as hard as this is for me to admit to you all, there was an instant. It took me a long time to realize this, but there was an instant of relief, of relief, because she was so sick and I couldn't help her. And it was, it was like this was, this was the answer. You know, death was an answer. I know better today because I've met people who were as low, if not lower, than she was, and I know there's recovery. I didn't know that at the time, so it seemed like a it seemed like an answer. Um, needless to say, this was devastating, you know, and I, I felt really guilty. Um, I, I played a major role in her life, and uh, it wasn't a helpful role. It wasn't helpful at all. Um, 
I can't go back, but I can I can act differently today. And when people need my help, I can steer them in a in a recovery way. I can help. I can be a lot more helpful in a in a healthier way in a recovery way. Um, I was, you know, my family was just devastated. You know, I mean, it was it was awful. It was horrible. I, I, it was it was so tragic. I couldn't even begin to describe it. But. Um, being the martyr that I was, I decided that my parents needed me and I wouldn't go back to college. Fortunately, they had the sense to say, that's crazy. Why would you stay home? There, there's nothing you can do here for us. So they sent me back to college and I was able to get, get on with my life. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to, because uh, I wanted to just dwell on that and stay in it and, and that wasn't going to do me any good. And they were able to see that, fortunately, and they sent me back to school. So. That was a good thing. Um, about a year later, I met um, the next person in my life who shared characteristics as described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I started dating this this guy. And believe it or not, we had kind of a sick relationship. Um, he was a heavy drinker, and so was I. And that's probably about the only thing we had in common. We enjoyed each other's company. We had our families that kind of knew each other. and. And we started dating each other. And I graduated from college and, and continued dating him. And that summer, um, a professor of my sister's, the one that died, was out in Wyoming. And he took a job on an Indian reservation as a principal and called me up and said, do you want to come and work for me on this Indian reservation? And I thought, in Nebraska, four hours away? I, I don't think so. You know, that, I, I wasn't a risk taker. And, and that didn't appeal to me at all. Um, so I was telling, though, like my parents, you know, that I'd been offered this job, and, and they were like, oh, yeah, she'll never take it. And uh, then I told my boyfriend at the time, you know, I'd been offered this job, same thing. He's like, Nebraska? No, you'll never take it. Well, everybody just kind of poo-pooed me off, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to show them I am going to take it. So I did. Not for the right reasons, but I packed up and moved to Nebraska for two years. And... Um, during that two years, I dated this guy from four hours away. We saw each other only on the weekends. Well, during that two years, we got engaged and planned a wedding. But I'm only seeing him on the weekends. You know, I'm talking to him on the phone, but that's it. A lot can be hidden during the week, a lot. And I was so sick that I saw lots of red flags, lots of them, and I chose to ignore all of them. You know, in my mind, this was this was somebody I could marry. It was getting to be that time in my life when I should be married. I need to start that next road. And um, so I ignored all those red flags. He, you know, some of them, he, when our first date, he said, well, um, is there any way you could drive? I don't have a car. Yeah, I suppose. That, that'll be fine. I'll drive on our date. Um, which, you know, isn't that big of a deal, but he's a college graduate, you know, is working in a liquor store. And uh, I, I guess there's part of me that thought maybe he should have his own car. But um, another red flag is I was driving back and forth to um, Kansas City every weekend. It was very rare for him to come and see me. And um, he would get angry if I said, I'm thinking about not making the drive this weekend. Well, we're not going to see each other, you know. And it was my fault. And I'm like, okay, I'll be there. And that, you know, I mean, just that, that total giving of myself, sacrificing, you know, it's just such the martyr. It just makes me laugh now because I wouldn't anymore do that today. But um, so one time I was getting ready to drive back to Nebraska, and he 
said, I need you to come over here to my apartment. I need to talk to you. So we sat down, and he told me that um, he was not going to drink anymore. He was going to quit drinking. And, you know, my immediate thought is, I wonder if this means I have to quit drinking too. And he said, now you don't have to quit drinking. This is about me. I'm the one. He said, I've got a problem. I'm not going to drink anymore at night. And he said, and I'm not going to nip anymore in the morning to get back to sleep. And I thought, nip in the morning. That's an alcoholic thing to say. And I worried about it all four hours driving back. I thought, my God, I bet he's an alcoholic. He nips in the morning. That's, that's not normal behavior. I can fix him. I can help him. He's going to quit, right? I can help him. So I got back and I told my roommate this. You know, I said, he, he, I, I think I'm marrying an alcoholic. And she said, oh, poor Michaela. First your sister and now this. That was it. That clinched it. I was marrying him. You know, I'm the martyr, the classic martyr. Here's, here's another way to get people to feel sorry for me. And, and you know, and I, I liked him. I loved him, you know, and, and it was for sick reasons, but it seemed right at the time. So we proceeded in this courtship and uh, planned a wedding. My mom did most of the planning because she was the one here in Kansas City and having it, but we got the invitation sent out, and it was about two weeks before the wedding, and he said, we can't get married. I said, why not? And he said, because I have a drinking problem, and I need to address it before we get married. Well, I was irate. I was furious. You wait till after we send out the invitations to tell me this? Forget it. We're getting married. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about how my parents are going to feel or how we're going to look. You know, I'm not even paying attention to this guy telling me. You know, I mean, red flag after red flag after red flag. We were going to move down to southwest Missouri. I had a job our offer already. I was going to teach down there. He was going to, the, the a teacher in the school was going to retire and he was going to teach the following year. You know, it was going to be all right. You do, we can get married. It's going to be all right. So I talked him into it. So we get married. And we go on our honeymoon, which was comical. Um, it, it, was, it was crazy. But it, it, we were up there and he bent over to pick up a cooler of beer and because um, we were going to go on a boat ride and he starts screaming that he's having a heart attack and we're by ourselves in a you know a town in northern minnesota i know nobody and so i'm getting the phone book out trying to find a doctor or an ambulance or you know i don't know who to call when your you know husband's having a heart attack and uh so i find a doctor and i've got to find somebody who will take cash you know and i mean it was just it was just on and on anyway so we get there and he doesn't have, he's not having a heart attack he has a pulled muscle in his sternum and uh, he needs to, you know, just rest. Well, the significance of this is that he was willing to go see a doctor because he, that was, you know, just, he wasn't somebody who would go to doctors. No, I'm not going to do it. You know, you have to carry me in there or I'm not going kind of a thing. And so on our honeymoon, that's what he did. And, and later on the honeymoon, there really isn't any significance to this except it's funny. I was uh, jumping off the boat and boats move in the water and I fell and landed on the dock face down. And I didn't even get my hands up to, to stop myself or anything. And I had bruises. And I'm laying there and I'm going, it hurts, it hurts. And my husband said, now, now if you're missing any teeth, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. That's all he was worried about if I was going to be missing teeth. But anyway, so our honeymoon was just a, a joke. It was just sick. You know, we just drank and nursed each other because we weren't feeling good. And, 
Anyway, so we come back, and we um, had a month or two before we could move down to southwest Missouri. So we lived with my parents um, in, you know, this alcohol-saturated environment. My parents went on a vacation, and we had the house to ourselves, and my husband told me that he was going to quit drinking again. We're married now, and he's going to quit drinking. But he warned me, said, this could be really bad. I could get very sick. So I need to just be in a bedroom by myself for a couple of days because I'm probably going to go through withdrawals and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, what, what do I need to do? What's my part in this? And he said, just if I need water or something, you need to bring it to me. <laughs> you know, I don't tell anybody I'm doing this. I don't tell anybody that this is all going on in my home. I am so embarrassed about this that it's a secret. You know, my parents are out of town, so they're not going to. But, you know, and he very carefully picked his times when to do this as well. So for entertainment during, you know, my first couple of weeks of marriage, I would go visit my grandmother in the nursing home. That's what I was doing for fun. And then I would come home and feel sorry for myself until it was time to go visit her again or give him water. Or, you know, and, and he was sick. And I know today how dangerous that is because he could have been having seizures or anything. I didn't know that at the time. But I know today that it was dangerous and we didn't have any business doing that um, you know, outside of a hospital or somewhere where he could have been monitored. But I didn't know. I didn't know he'd been drinking that much alcohol. I didn't have any idea. So we uh, moved down to southwest Missouri, and I went from the kind of person who was extremely social, always doing something, very involved, to complete isolation. I was very embarrassed about the way we were living. Um, I was working. My husband wasn't. I was trying to support both of us on a teacher salary, which if any of you are in education know what a joke that is. Um, we were borrowing money from our parents. Uh, we would call them. We tried to switch off each month. You know, who did we call last month for money, your parents or my parents, and try to switch off. We were um, bouncing checks all over the place. It, it was awful. And the only thing I did is I went down to work, and then I came home and sat in my house and smoked cigarettes and drank beer and felt sorry for myself. The only thing that was, that was good during that time was when we would go home for the weekend. We would either go to my parents' house, you know, come up to Kansas City, or go to his parents' house because when we were there, we got fed, you know, for free. We got free alcohol. And... Um, it wasn't nearly, you know, and there were other people. But even through all of this, you know, I'm, I've got myself in this self-inflicted prison. I'm still not telling anybody that we're living like this. You know, my parents came down to visit, and we had our VCR in Hawk. Uh, my husband had punched a hole in the wall out of anger. Why else would you punch a hole in a wall? <laughs> I, I, that was probably unnecessary to say out of anger. But, um, and it was, uh, and they called and said they were coming down there bringing my aunt and uncle. I went into a panic. We didn't have money to get the wall fish fixed. How are we going to get the VCR out of Hawk? You know, they're going to know. They're going to know that everything's not right. So to this day, I don't know how he did it because I don't want to know. But somehow he paid for the wall to get fixed. He got the VCR out of Hawk. And when they showed up, we put our little smiley faces on. And we were just the happy newlyweds living down in southwest Missouri. Would you like to go see Bass Pro? We'll take you. <laughs> and, and that's what we did, you know. And I just kept covering it. And, and I was... Um, I was starting to think, this isn't good. I'm not enjoying my life. And I, I started having fantasies about moving back to Kansas City. Um, and they were, I, we'd moved into our second year of marriage. This was around, um, I guess, in 92. And um, I started thinking, um, you know, at the end of this school year, oh, 
I kept thinking that if my husband would get a job, all of this would be taken care of. If he were working full time, this wouldn't be a problem anymore. And he was, you know, going to get this teaching job at the school where I taught the next year. Well, he was subbing there, and he would, they'd call and ask him to sub. He'd say, yes, I'll be there tomorrow. In the morning, we'd wake up. He'd be, you know, in DTs or withdrawal or whatever, you know, and he'd need a drink. And But he'd tell me that his ulcer was acting up, and I, I needed to tell them that he wasn't going to make it. This happened time and time and time again. You know, and I'm like, he's got that ulcer. And, and I went down there and lied for him every time. And I would be so sick on that 20-minute drive to school because I knew I was going to have to lie for him again. And I, I didn't like to lie. You know, I, was, I had been an honest person. You know, there's another thing. I just gave up of myself. I had been an honest person. I wasn't anymore. And, uh, you know, they're going to be without a sub. You know, also that they're getting um, the shaft because, you know, no one was going to be there to cover and um, But I just knew if he had a full-time job that this wouldn't be a problem because he'd have somewhere to get up and go every day, and it wouldn't be a problem. Here's another thing about how sick I was. We only had one car, and I got a ride to work every day because I was so hoping that he would use the car to go find a job or whatever that I let him have the car every day and, and got a ride to work, which, you know, once again makes me laugh because I wouldn't do that today. Um, so... We're moving into this next school year, and he didn't get that job. He didn't get the job that had promised, been promised to him. Divine intervention. Thank God he didn't get that job. You know, I don't, I don't even remember why he didn't get it, what the excuse was. I'm sure that they realized that he was an extremely unreliable, sick person. I, that isn't what they told us, but that's fine. Um, if he'd have gotten that job, it'd just been devastating. But God was taking care of us, and we couldn't see it. We didn't know that. You know, I'm thinking, why have you forsaken us? You know, I can't believe he didn't get this job. Now he's just got another more excuses to drink and and whatnot. So now I'm thinking, he didn't get the job. I'll teach here one more year, and I'm going to Kansas City. I'm going back. There's no reason for us to be down here. I don't have a friend in the world. I'm still not telling anybody about our plight. You know, they all may have known. I'm sure we were more transparent than I thought, but. I'm not talking about it. Nobody else is either. So it got to be about October, and my husband is going down fast. And I came home from school one day, and he said, you have to take me to the doctor. I'm so sick. And I said, well, what's wrong with you? And he said, I don't know. I'm really, really sick. So he laid down in the back of the car, and we had to go to a small town far away so no one would know us. And we got to the doctor's office. He couldn't even sit in the waiting room. He had to go back and lay down in one of the um, examining rooms. And he was gone for a little while, and the doctor came out into a crowded waiting room and said, I need to see Michaela Wilson. And I'm like, oh, you yeah, know, that's me. And he said, can you come with me? And he takes me into his office, into his office, the doctor's office, and said, do you have any idea how sick your husband is? Well, yeah, I know he wasn't feeling very good. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I mean about the drinking. He is drinking himself to death. What are you going to do about it? I mean, this guy was just no bones about it. And I said, I can't make him stop drinking. And he said, but you can do, you can kick him out of your house. You can do something about it. You cannot, he's going to die. And he just kept saying that he's going to die. His drinking, and he was talking about liver enzymes. And, and I, I mean, I was just shocked and bowled over and uh, flabbergasted. I, I just, I was speechless. And he said, are you willing to do something about it? And, I, you know, I had the honesty or the clarity to say, I don't think I'm ready. I, I don't think I can do anything about it right now. And he said, well, your husband does not know I'm talking to you. Do not tell him. I don't want him to know. I told him I had a phone call. And I said, all right. 
So I went out into the waiting room. I'm sitting there, and here comes my husband, and we go out to the car, and I turn, and I said, do you know what that doctor did? He pulled me into his office, and he told me, you know, and I told him the whole thing. And, of course, he was furious and said, well, we won't be going back to him. And uh, and so we got home, and this has started the wheels turning. I'm really thinking, you know, he is a lot sicker than I realize, a lot sicker. This is This is way more serious than I can handle. So I keep thinking to myself, you know, come May, I'm, I'm leaving, and, I, and I've just got to work up the way to tell him. I didn't want to leave him, but I wanted to leave the area. So, you know, I'm going back to Kansas City. You can come with me or not was, was how I was practicing it. Well, in January, um, it was the end of January, and we were supposed to be going to his parents' house for the weekend. And I came home from school, and now I lived for going out of town on the weekends because it was my only time out of the house except to go to work. You know, I didn't do anything. I just was in this prison, self-inflicted. I was total isolation. And uh, I came home on a Friday, and I'm like, okay, I'm packed. I'm ready to go. And he said, we're not going. I said, how come? And he said, I don't want to. Normally, I would have said, okay, and that would have been the end of it. We wouldn't have gone. I said, well, I want to go. And he said, I don't want to. And I said, your parents are expecting us. He said, no, they're not. I called my mom and told her we weren't coming. I said, well, what did you tell her? He said, I told her that I was in a softball tournament with your faculty. I said, it's January. She believed that? And he said, I don't, I don't care if she believes it or not. That's what I told her. And I said, well, I'm going out of town. He said, well, I already told mom and dad that we're in this. My parents, I'm going out of town. And so I packed, and, or I was already packed, and I, I was walking out the door, and he, he grabbed me, and he started crying, and he said, please don't leave me. And I knew that I couldn't stay in that house that weekend. I, I was so tired of our situation, and I, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stay in that dark, cramped house again. I had to leave that weekend. I said, you can come with me. I'm not leaving you. You don't come on. He said, I don't want to go. I said, I'm leaving. I'm going you know, out of town this weekend. So I went. And it was miserable, you know. I mean, we were so sick and into each other, you know. And we, this is our first time apart for any length of time. And we talked on the phone, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? You know, I'm miserable. Me too. You know, all that business. And I went home on Sunday and I said, you know, what did you do this weekend? And he said, well, I did a lot of soul searching. And I said, did you figure anything out? And he said, no, not really, you know. And so that was, then Monday came, and then Tuesday I came home from work, but something was different between us. I can't put my finger on it still today. I don't know if it's because I showed a flash of independence, and, and so I started feeling a little bit more independent and not so um, codependent and so, so reliable or relying on him. Um, I don't know what the difference was, but something was different in me and in him. And I came home that Tuesday, and he had a bag packed, and he said, take me to treatment. And uh, that, that doctor that we had seen in October had told him, you need to go to such and such treatment center. They'll help you. And uh, he had called them that day and said, you know, I'm coming in. Do you have a bed for me? And they said, yes. So, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't see this coming from anywhere. You know, we hadn't even talked about it since October. And I said, let's go, you know. And he said, well, hang on. Let me grab a couple beers. <laughs> so he went back in the house, grabbed a couple beers. And I drove him over there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that those were the last two beers he's had. You know, that was nine years ago in February, and, um, and you know, I'm very grateful for that. But we got to, re- to this recovery place and, or whatever, and uh, we went in, and, and we're sitting down in the room, and they're interviewing him, and um, he said, you know what, I can do this by myself. Thank you, but I don't need your help. And I thought, oh, no, 
you know, we've gotten this far. I'm not leaving with him. I am not leaving with him. And I was looking at the counselor, you know, just panic on my face. And she saw it and she said, we need to see you in another room. And they snuck me out of that place. And because I told them, I said, I've gotten him this far. I'm not leaving with him. And they said, that, you know, that's fine. And they had me talk to a counselor and they tried to talk me into going to an Al-Anon meeting. And I said, no, that's not for me because they were having the family night. That No, 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 no. I need to go home. And, and uh, I was driving home and I thought, um, I'm willing to quit drinking you know to me it wasn't a big deal anymore it had gotten so bad and so awful that drinking wasn't uh, you know I just did it at that point out of habit now I had worried a lot about whether I was an alcoholic or not because my drinking was so um, prevalent but um, you know through recovery and Al-Anon and whatnot I, I've come to terms with that I am not an alcoholic I have a choice in the matter I can drink or I cannot drink today I choose not to drink and and that's all right but um I, that was something I was worried about. I thought if he goes into treatment, I wonder if they're going to start pointing fingers at me, you know. And and um, but but at that point, once I finally got him there and he's you know started on his road, uh, it wasn't a big deal to me at that point. You know, I was perfectly happy and willing to give that up if it meant that our life could change because it was so miserable. It was so miserable. But so while he was in treatment, he told me um, he said, "You can tell my parents where I am, but you may not tell your parents." Oh, I'd already told them. So I'm panicking. I'm like, what am I going to do? I, do I lie to him? So I went and got the counselor and I said, I've already told my parents. He told me I couldn't. Should I lie to him? What should I tell him? You know she had to be laughing at me. But she wasn't. She was very nice. And she said, well, I can't make that decision for you. That's up to you. And so I told him. And he kicked me out and said, I never want to see you again. Well, that only lasted about a half an hour until he needed money to buy sodas or whatever. But... Um, but you can see how sick I'd gotten. I was really worried about it. You know, I was thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't have told my parents and, and whatnot. But I did tell them, and my mom even came down and stayed with me for two weeks while he was in, in treatment, and that was that was wonderful. So he got out of treatment and, and um, has been on, a, 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 you know, a fantastic, miraculous road to recovery ever since. Still works a, f- you know, fantastic AA program, and, and um and so that's his deal. Now, me, I waited a month or two before I went to Al-Anon, and he got a sponsor, and the sponsor's wife kept saying, well, where's your wife? Why isn't she in Al-Anon? Why isn't she going to Al-Anon? And, and he came home one night, and he said, I am so sick of them bugging me about you going to Al-Anon. You're going. Let's go. So he puts me in the car, and he takes me to an Al-Anon meeting, and I went with these people, and, and um, this woman ended up, you know, has been one of my closest friends, ended up being my sponsor, and and uh, she's just, you know, led me on a fantastic road of recovery. And, and, you know, thank God for that. My husband has a different sponsor now, but it doesn't matter. You know, she and I have still bonded and are still very close. And it didn't have to, it didn't have to depend on him and his relationship with that man. We were able to continue our relationship. Um, but I went to that first Al-Anon meeting, and they, I walked in, and they must have known. I, you know, I felt like everybody was in cahoots because they had the meeting on detachment. And, and I kept saying, but how? But how? You know, everything is dependent on him, on his uh, mood in the morning, you know, and everything was dependent on him. How do you detach? And, and they kept saying, just keep coming back, just keep coming back, you know, and they'd share their experience. And, and we walked out of there, and I thought, you know, they're being intentionally vague just to get me to come back. And that was okay because it worked. You know, and I had a little bit of an ego problem too because I'm thinking that they're all doing this for my benefit. Well, I went to four meetings a week for a couple of years, and I needed more probably. I um, I just needed to go all the time, and, and my husband was not 
liking the new me. You know, I, I had a backbone all of a sudden, and, and um, it wasn't going over very well in our house. Um, an example of that would be when, um, you know, whenever his sponsor would call, he would always say, tell him I'm not home. And I'd pick up the phone and say, he's not home. Well, you know, where's he going to be? Who knows? But it's not like he had a job. Um, but anyway, so I would always lie for him. Well, I got to thinking, this is a part of me that I don't like. I do not like being a dishonest person. I've always been honest. And I don't like this. So I told him one time. The phone rang, and he said, if it's for me, I'm not home. And I turned around, and I said, I'm not going to lie for you anymore. He says, I said, I'm not going to lie for you anymore. But I don't think I did. I think I said, I'm not going to lie for you anymore. And uh, he was furious. He, he threw the phone. He was screaming at me. I mean, crazy mad. But to this day, he has never asked me to lie for him again. You know, there was, there was five minutes of insanity of that crazy anger that I had to endure, if you will. And... Um, He's never asked me to lie for him again, and I wouldn't if he asked me to. I wouldn't do it, but it's not an issue anymore. I had to stand up for myself that one time. I, there was something different about me, and he knew it. And it, and it came from coming to Al-Anon meetings and being around people who were healthy and in recovery. Um, there wasn't ever anything specific. I still think Al-Anon is vague, but I can relate it to myself now. I can, I can um, pray for help and guidance. And that was one of the things I got. I, I was a little bit um, leery about the whole God thing when I got here. I was raised a Catholic. Um, you know, I could pray with the best of them um, in church, but outside of church, I, I really felt kind of abandoned after my sister and, and um, you know, this marriage. And I, I just thought, you know, God isn't out there for me and our money troubles. And um, But I know, um, so I was a little worried about that they were going to be trying to m- make me, first of all, change my religion. And uh, secondly, you know, that they were going to be, it was just, well, you know, I thought it was going to be a bunch of Jesus freaks. That's what I was afraid of. That was my own um, stereotype or, or whatever. But it wasn't at all. You know, it led me to a higher power that I use every day, and I use him all the time, and I need him in my life, and he guides me, and he, he provides for me, and, and it's just a fantastic relationship that I have with a higher power whom I choose to call God. And, and, you know, I'm kind of a God freak now, but I'm proud of it because it's changed my life. Um, but some other things that I, I figured out in recovery is that I was, um, you know, I talked about being honest. And what I found out once I got here is that I heard it referred to this way, that I was cash register honest. You know, blatant lies, I, I, wasn't unco- I was uncomfortable doing, so I didn't do it. But I had the, I was completely unable to be honest with myself about my behavior. I could rationalize and justify my behavior and, and that martyrdom. You know, I mean, that was, that was something I was proud of. And I did not have the ability to be honest with myself about my motives or, or why I was doing things. Um, you know, I came into this program feeling like I was the controlled. I was the one who was, um, you know, poor, pitiful me. And I found out through, you know, prayer and going to meetings and asking God for the ability to be honest with myself that I was actually kind of controlling. You know, yes, we bounced a lot of checks. It didn't have my name on the checks, but I was the one who was saying, oh, just go write a check. But if his signature was on it, then it looked like he was the one who bounced it. You know, um, picking out movies. You know, you you pick the movie, and then if it's a bad movie, I can say, well, you know, you picked a bomb or a loser, you know. And, and uh, you know, minor examples, but I lived that way. You know, I, it was insidious how I was um, manipulating my life so that I didn't look bad. 
and um, that it was him that would look bad. And I was very self-righteous, you know, in our home. I was the one who was working. You didn't have a job. I mean, I, was, I, I would have been awful to live with because I had a holier-than-thou attitude. And it wasn't fair. You know, he was a very, very sick individual. We both were, and we didn't know it. Um, we didn't know how to get out of it at the time. Um, I kept going to meetings. Some other things that I learned, I had, a, had and have a really hard time with money. Um, we are comfortable we are provided for we you know aren't financially well off in any way shape or form um, and I used to listen to tapes all the time when I got in when I was new in the program and there was this one woman I listened to her all the time and she talked about how um, they didn't have money and they got into the program and um, money just started appearing places like in her pocket you know in a coat she hadn't worn for a while or uh, you know under her bed or on the kitchen table and I'm like you know that doesn't happen that is not real. Stuff like that doesn't happen to people. I didn't believe it. I was very skeptical until it started happening to me. I, you know, one thing I remember is we had um, our headlight went out on our only car, and we didn't have the money to fix it. It was going to be like seventy, you know, three dollars or something like that. And we didn't have the money to fix it. So, well, don't drive at night. Well, but then you can't go to meetings, you know, and and this kind of thing. Um, so I'm whining about it to my sponsor and she's like well don't worry you know you'll be taken care of somehow some way and I'm thinking God, I gotta call my parents and borrow money again and that day in the mail came a check from AT&T for $75 if we'd switch over to AT&T well I had no loyalty for my phone company I'd take 75 bucks I'd get my headlight fixed and I have a new phone company money did start appearing like that it did and I know the difference today is that now I'm aware of it. Now I'm starting to look for it. I'm watching God work in my life. You know, that was the difference. I know he was working before, but I never saw it because I was too caught up in the self-pity and the martyrdom and the, and the sickness. And I, I didn't see the good things. Well, now that I'm in recovery and hanging around healthy people, I'm starting to see things through such clearer glasses, you know, that I can... I can watch these things happen and unfold in my life and thank God, you know, give him the credit that he's working in my life. And, you know, for that I'm so grateful. I, I um, Money, you know, another thing is I'd get paid and I'd have like 73 cents left over until the next payday, the, a month later. And, I mean, I would just be grumble, grumble, grumble. Here I'm paying the bills. I don't have any money left over. I can't believe it. You know, I can't even go out and buy myself something. If I, I can't get my hair cut. I didn't get my hair cut for like a year because I was such a martyr. Oh, we don't have the money for it. And um, I walked into the bank and I had to get my money orders because they took our checking account away. And um, I was getting my money orders and the teller said, wow, that doesn't leave you much which was probably an inappropriate comment for a teller, but I was able to look at her and say, thank God I have enough to cover the bills today. Who said that? You know, I, I mean, that came out of my mouth, and I walked out of there feeling 50, uh, floating out of that bank. I thought, this is, this is what can make me happy if I look at things differently. I'm grateful that I have enough money to cover the bills. You know, two months ago, I didn't have enough. Today, I've got enough. I don't have to call my parents and borrow money or his parents. You know, and when I started looking at things differently, I was so much happier. Things started happening in my life. I started to be social again, which is something that I need. It's, it's a part of who I am to be around other people. I'm not an isolator by choice. You know, that's not a comfortable place for me. 
Um, today I can do things differently. I can, I can get out there and I can do social things. I can pray about money and I can turn it over to God. I, you know, he, he let me work part-time this year. I, I um, have been blessed with three children. I have a three-year-old and two, tw- two twins as opposed to four twins. I don't know what I mean. But I have twins who are 10 months old. And uh, he let, uh, you know, God has provided for us and I'm working part-time. And, you know, the money is just there. It, it is an absolute miracle because um, we haven't had to change our lifestyle that much, you know, except for diapers and baby food, like you can't believe. But um, it's just unbelievable how he provides for me. And, you know, I, there are still times when I choose to worry about it, but I know today that I can turn it over to God and he will take care of it, and he has. And that, you know, if I go on my experience, I know I'll be provided for and taken care of. Um, I know there were more recovery things that I wanted to talk about. I've just learned so much in this program. Um, You know, my parents are um, who they are, and I know today that I can take care of myself. If I go and visit them and I stay with them and there's a lot of drinking going on, I have a choice. I can leave. I can go stay with one of my sisters who, um, you know, are in the program today. That's another gift that I have. Um, I have people in my immediate family that are in recovery. I mean, that's beautiful. And that's a gift from Al-Anon, you know, attraction rather than promotion. They're watching me change and saying, that's, she is not like she used to be. She is just different. My sister was going to college, and she would call me up and say, you know, hi, Mom and Dad are paying for everything, so I feel like I have to do everything they tell me to do or, or all this stuff. And she'd call me up all the time, well, what do they tell you in Al-Anon? What do they tell you in Al-Anon? Well, what, what should I do here? And finally I was able to say to her one day, you know, you need to go to an Al-Anon meeting. You go. I'm out of things to tell you. You know, somebody else knows what to tell you. You go to an Al-Anon meeting. Well, they don't have them where I am. (laughs) I bet they do if you look. So I helped her, and we found some, and she's been going to Al-Anon ever since. My other sister was a little bit harder, a little tougher nut to crack. Um, I went down to visit her. She lived in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. I went on a trip with two friends from Al-Anon down to visit her and stay in the Virgin Islands, and we went to a meeting, an Al-Anon meeting down there. And that was her first meeting ever. Well, the only reason she went was because we were going out afterwards and it would have been too inconvenient to have to go all the way back across the island to get her. So she went to her first Al-Anon meeting and she thought I was a loon. You know, I mean, I was just so positive and happy and I wasn't worried about mom and dad all the time. She's like, somebody has to be worried about them. You know, their finances, their this, their drinking, their, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... What good is it going to do? We cannot change them. You know, and I would spew Al-Anon at her, and she would be like, you are just in denial, and, and you don't know what you're talking about. And, and, but, and, and I think, well, maybe I am in denial. And then I think, no, you know what? I'm happy, and I'm peaceful, and I've got some serenity, and she doesn't. And that's the difference. I'm not denying. I can look at them and know that, that there are problems. I can see that. But I can't do anything about it. I can only take care of myself today. Well, eventually that sister started going to Al-Anon too, and, and it's kind of her that I have to thank for being here today. <laughs> and I can look at that now because I'm finished. I'm really grateful that I had this chance to be here. Um, it, it's been incredible. I was, I was really nervous about it, and I got up here, and it just, you know, everybody was right. It just went the way it was supposed to, and I feel really good about it. And thank you all very much for being here. And I'll pass.